The Renegade Aviator, David Costa. Oh, oh, updated when I'm done. Two soldiers, five. We on the airfield and airspace. You are clear for takeoff. Have a good one. Thanks, Mo. Clear for takeoff. Check your bucket brake off. Check your trim set. Check your nozzle steering on. Maneuver. Damn it, half school face. Left turn out. That's what I'm up. Outflips now. In the air and on air, the Renegade Aviator combines jet airshow performances and this radio show to promote aviation, excellence, overcoming obstacles, and achieving goals. Here he is, the Renegade Aviator, David Costa. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, and I have got a treat for you. Each and every week, we bring air show performers on the Renegade Aviator radio show. And the reason why we do that, if I don't need to remind you often enough, is because air shows are excellence demonstrated. Air shows are about overcoming adversity, overcoming obstacles, and achieving great goals. And today, I have somebody that we all call Mr. Air Show. His name is Gene Susi. He flies Showcat, and when I think of air shows, when I think of going to an air show, sure, we all think of the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds, but I think of big old biplanes really low to the ground, pumping out a ton of smoke and making a lot of noise. Gene, welcome to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. Hey, Dave, thank you very much. It's great to be on again. Right on, and I really appreciate it because, you know, of course, now we are um, in uh, quarantine or coming out of quarantine so before we rock and roll into that subject, and I know a lot of people know exactly who Gene Susie is and exactly what you do, but our audience keeps growing. Real quick, give us an overview of the type of show you fly and who is Gene Susie and Gene Susie Air Shows. Well, for the last 20 or 30 years, I've been flying this big AgCat biplane, kind of like a Stearman. Great show plane, great smoke system. Able to put a wing walker on top. I can use that airplane for my night show. Uh, before that, I was aerobatic competition early in my career. Flying a pit special, went to Europe a couple of times on the world aerobatic teams, and we won the world aerobatic championships. But I um, flew formation with the Eagles team and then started the show with the Agcat. The big biplane act is just one of those acts that every air show really needs. You know, there's all kinds of those little pit specials and the monoplanes out there. But uh, after two or three of those, an air show needs something different. So it seems like they always like to have the big biplane. The airplane's slow, so it stays right in front of the crowd. Oh, and it's noisy. Big propeller tips on that 450. The tips of the propellers are going supersonic, so it makes a great noise. And smoke, and it's just, uh, air shows are entertainment, and we're entertainers, and we just love what we do. It is, and your aircraft especially has been just part of air shows, right? And it can come into smaller air shows, bigger air shows. I think a lot of the smaller air shows are starting to be less and less of a thing, and that's maybe what I'm starting to try to remind people that, you know, you can go to a big, huge Air Force base or Navy base, and uh, you're way far away from the action but uh, you can go to these smaller events and a plane like this, this big old biplane you're flying with Showcat, it's one of those acts you watch where your neck doesn't hurt because you're not looking up very high in the sky, are you? <laughs> <laughs> you're not. And to me, the people in the audience, the stage should be out in front of them where they don't have to crane their necks back. You know, I can show the stage out there over the runway. 
you mentioned the small air shows. It's funny, we get got done thousands and thousands of air shows and all the big ones, but at the end of the year, the ones you look back on, the ones that seem like they're the most fun were the small events with five, 6,000 people in the crowd, a little town like Osceola, Wisconsin, or something like that. And they just treat you so great that the small shows, people are so nice and it's just it's easy to get in and out and relaxed and help you accomplish that. And you bring back more small air shows. I'd like to see more of the small ones start up. Here we are, right? So that brings us into kind of why we're on this big push, what I call May Day Save Our Air Shows. And I encourage everybody to go to my website at renegadeaviator.com and click the link, May Day, because this whole coronavirus, this whole shutdown of our nation, of our world, air shows are all over the world, but they are uniquely an American and Canadian type of a thing. We have probably more air shows than anywhere else in the world, and it's who we are getting out, standing shoulder to shoulder, watching really cool pilots demonstrate their excellence. And it really is about creating dreams or realizing dreams. Gene, what are your thoughts? I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but I know we're going to come back in some form or fashion, but you've got a better perspective than I do. I've got a very short perspective in the industry, although I've been going to air shows for 50 plus years social distancing and staying at home, you're kind of out of the loop on everything. And nobody really seems to know what's going to happen. You know, our organization, uh, ICAST, the International Council of Air Show, keeps us up to date on what's happening. But everything we get from them is pretty much negative. It just shows a list of more and more shows that have canceled. And I don't think there's going to be any air shows this year because unlike NASCAR and golf and a lot of these other sports, they could, they have all of huge TV followings and they can put on their events without spectators. But air shows more of a local event and it's all about the spectators and if there's no spectators it's not going to be an air show so it's kind of up to the local governments when they're going to let people back together again so who knows when that's going to be what i'd like to see is some start some kind of air show competition huh. and put it on television the next few months and uh, they don't need spectators and you know, we've done competitions in the past and even the red bull air races was on tv unfortunately it's not right now but anything like that would be great you could do it without spectators but that doesn't exist in our business or sport right now that's actually a better idea than I've heard about the drive-in air show. I know we've talked about that in the last couple of weeks with other guests. I'm like, drive-in air show, that doesn't really seem... But, you know, the competition is something you can televise. It's better than um, not flying. That's actually a great idea. So you said that this happened before or we did stuff like this before? Oh, yeah. Back in the early 80s, I flew in the competition sponsored by Hilton, the Hilton Masters of Aerobatics. It was covered by CBS once, and we did three of them, and uh, ESPN covered two of them. And in the 90s, we did an air show competition at Oshkosh and Dayton and Cleveland called the Championship Air Show Pilots Association. And we did three-minute flights. There were like eight pilots in an elimination fly-off, and it was an ESPN event. But unfortunately, when the stick and ball sports are, are going strong on sports television, then nobody's going to watch an airplane because they can't associate it with airplanes the public. But right now, no competition from baseball and basketball. People would watch air shows if we could just get to find somebody somewhere to start some of these aerobatic competitions. It'd be great. Was it done by judges or was a crowd appreciating you know, or kind of voting? No, or? no, it was it was done by judges. The Castro, we actually had some people in the crowd voted too. Of course, now you do it for television and you'd get on the internet and you'd have people vote like American Idol on Twitter or whatever, <laughs> and it could be really cool. Yeah. American Bachelor or something too. He could maybe pawn off some <laughs> of the pilots. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. So we hear this all the time from the younger crowd. At least I've got people to call into the show and they say, you know, look, air shows have got to change. 
We've got to do virtual reality. We got to do all this weird stuff. I guess what I said two weeks ago was the new normal needs to be the old normal if they're going to survive in the way that we've been used to. Had never thought of this competition type of thing or a style where people could watch. There was something on the internet, and I applaud people for doing new ideas. That socially distant air show. I don't know how well that was received. I watched it, but then again, I like airplanes. So, <laughs> yeah. As we're looking at this, and and you're right, this year we probably are done. Um, so that's a big reason why we're bringing this stuff back because I think that there's a lesson to be learned of the fans, the crowds that come out to air shows. They're not just pilots. I'm sure you've met these people through the years. That these are just people that come out and they're inspired and they're awed. And I think the only way you can do that is in a live style of event, especially with a plane like yours, because I don't think a video does show cat justice. It's cool on video. Don't get me wrong, but it's really cool up front and close and personal. You obviously see the value in that live shaking somebody's hand after you just wowed them 50 feet off the ground or less. Oh, yeah, of course. That's why we fly to for the people. And it's always great when you land to, to hear their reaction and feel their reaction and walk up to the crowd line, you know, and, and shake their hand and everything. That's, and that's why we do it. Hopefully we'll get back to that. I'm sure we will. Shouldn't be as long as people think either. I don't know about you, but in some respects, having a down year, you're able to do other stuff, I guess, or get stuff fixed up. I was talking to uh, Jerry Conley. I know he's working on his jet and getting stuff fixed up and is there anything you're doing in the downtime that would be unique and different from uh, what you would normally be doing, which is traveling all over the country nonstop? Well, not really. My airplane's over in the hangar in mid-March, put the engine back in it and got the wings on it and I ran it. And I'm just going to fly it like a few more days. And then all of a sudden, all this came down and the airplane hadn't flown yet. So I'm not really working on anything. Seems like I would have got my taxes done on time, but I'm sure they'll be extended a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When do they do now? July? Do we, have, we even exist by then? I don't <laughs> yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, you never have enough time. No matter how much time you have, you run out of time. It's crazy. It was one thing I noticed when you were, uh, I was at one of the air shows, I think it was the, the local one here, and you were getting ready to go up and practice. And what really struck me is um, doing your show as long as you've been doing it and flying that aircraft when you would go up and practice and you were kind of marking little tape sections where the power setting went and where things were going. And what astounded me is that as you were flying, you were able to make these fine-tuned adjustments and kind of mark things off as your reminder. I thought that's kind of indicative of, you know, you've practiced so much. People look up and say, I can be an air show pilot. Yeah, I took a couple of aerobatic lessons and I can go be an air show pilot. I bought myself a $400,000 extra and I can just go fly. And then you watch somebody who is that consummate professional like you, that these minor differences you can hear and smell and feel in the airplane. What do you say to these new people starting out, I guess, that want things handed to them yesterday? Oh, God, they don't realize what it takes. It's got nothing to do with the airplane, but be at the level of aerobatics that I'm at and a lot of my peers, what do they take a guy like Tiger Woods. I mean, anybody can go out and buy him couple thousand dollars set of golf clubs how many get that good i mean you spend your whole life from the time you're seven years old or when a pilot i turned 14 i started flying but you spend all every day of your life training to do this flying that airplane over and over again every time i change aerobatic airplanes i figure it takes a thousand hours in that airplane before i've got to figure it out but practicing you got to put in the work but you have to love it because you can't have any other job it's got to be your life it's the only way you're going to get any good at anything 
It is true. You know, a thousand hours, imagine that one aerobatic flight at a time. It's not like you're flying coast to coast when you go up and practice. These are, what, 20 minute flights. And I guess that's what it is, right? Anybody can do a loop, but who can do a loop the way you do it in the aircraft? You do it with no margin for error, right? So I think we, we see a lot of pilots that'll get out there and go, oh, I did a loop on my, you know, Satabria. It seemed pretty straightforward until I guess looking back the first time I rolled inverted at 50 feet. I almost peed my pants. <laughs> <laughs> this is when I first started flying a, a monoplane. I, I bought an extra 300, and I'd been flying the pits and the Eagle. I had 6,000 hours in a pit special biplane and championships and formation teams, and, and I had the airplane master, but I bought the extra, and I hired a coach, Sergey Boryak, and I went off to camps with Patty Wagstaff and Mike Gullian and our coach, and then I went back in there about a competition again. I hadn't flown in 20 years, and I went back and started flying unlimited just to force myself to learn the airplane. And like I said, after about a thousand hours, I started feeling pretty good in it. And you need that experience in it because when you're in an air show and the wind's blowing and it's turbulent and things aren't going right, and you have to fall back on these skills that you developed. I mean, it's a skill. You just have to be skilled up, I guess they say. You fly almost unconscious. You don't fly the airplane. You get in there and do an air show, you're never ever thinking about flying the airplane or doing a maneuver. You're thinking about all the other things that are going on around you. talking to the air boss. Where's the crowd? Where's show center? That's a wind shift. You know, there's just a million things going on. And then one of your shoulder harnesses comes loose and it's flapping up in your face and all these little things distract you. So you have to be able to operate an airplane has got to be completely second nature to be safe. I say it as a joke, but I think it's true. You correct me if I'm wrong. In this type of stuff I do in a jet, it's pretty straightforward. We're not down near as low. We're doing very basic things. There's more going on. I think people don't realize that in a big old biplane with your torque and your P factor and how the wind affects you and things of that, and even turbulence, right? Where sometimes I make a joke, the only reason why I can't do a show the way you do is because I, you know, I need to do something easy, like fly a little jet around <laughs> because it's just people look at a biplane and they forget how much minutia is involved in keeping that thing where you want it to go. Am I off base with that? Or I always say jets are for kids, but real men fly biplanes. (laughs) Most things I've been talking about are flying high-performance airplanes. That's what my love is. But doing that, I need a different kind of act after the Eagles went away. So flying a big biplane is more like flying your jet than flying a pit special on extra. It's it's pretty easy. Low G, you don't get over five or six Gs. Only one negative instead of seven or eight negative. You know, it's it's not that bad an airplane to fly physically. I was amazed, I think, when I saw you leaving the air show last. You know, you get that airplane flies. It flies coast to coast to every air show at, uh, what, 80, 90 miles an hour. And um, that's probably (laughs) harder than flying the air show. (laughs) Oh, there you go. That's amazing. I'm at the air show. I'm looking forward to that trip. That's why I do this. Not only do I love to fly aerobatics, but it's just an adventurous type. I don't know. I just love getting in that airplane after a show and taking off. And you don't know where you're going you're gonna to end up for the night. Depends on the weather and the winds and all different sorts of things. And I just love that. Landing in these different cities and end up in town, some hotel you wouldn't normally stay at, and then, you know, and meeting people. And I just love that traveling and flying the airplane. It's a slow airplane, so you're in it eight or nine hours a day when you're going. It's big and comfortable. You can pack a lunch. and It's just a fun airplane to fly cross-country. Any airplane's fun to fly. Even the jets, when I was an airline pilot, I just loved flying and flying the airliners. When, once we pushed back from the gate and got to the flying business, it was a great, great job. The best view in the house, and you hit the nail on the head. Once you push back from the gate and the phone stops ringing or you can ignore eight cars for a while, just look out the window and say, look how lucky. And I always say that, how grateful I am to fly every given day. 
especially now when we have this whole thing in the airline industry and the coronavirus and pilots now. I was talking to a kid that we had mentored in the Learjet. He went to the airlines and, you know, big 1,500-hour wonder. And uh, we figured I can do whatever I want. We're hiring pilots left and right. I said, it'll change overnight, my friend. So watch who you make mad or be a person of integrity because you may need to call them next week for a job. <laughs> Isn't that something how fast it changes? God, it's amazing. It is. We had pilots that were just very arrogantly saying, I can do what I want, do this and that, and everything, and uh, I'm, I'm just going to get hired, especially on the younger kids that have never seen it before. But this is a cycle. I guess that's what I'm trying to tell people, whether it's air shows whether it's professional flying, it's a cycle. It'll change. That's one thing in aviation. It always changes. If you don't like what you see on the radar, turn it off. If it's really scary, just close your eyes. <laughs> Gene, you've seen air shows progress. Is there a difference in sponsors or the types of sponsors or how the sponsors relate to the performers and the shows? A lot more sponsorships involved. Yeah, there's probably 15 or 20 acts with title sponsors now. And it seems like most of the major shows pick up a title sponsor, so that's good. Obviously, more money in it. Yeah. Only thing I really noticed that shows actual change is years ago, you could count on the Saturday crowd being about half as big as the Sunday crowd. And we always told the promoters, you know, Saturday is your media day. The media covers the event on Saturday, and then more people come on Sunday. But for some reason now, Sunday crowds are always like 30% less than the Saturday crowd. I guess I attribute it to people watching sports on TV more than they did 70s and 80s, early 90s, you know? Gotcha. Or you're probably doing more like everybody else. You got cameras on board the aircraft as well. Before, we didn't do that. Are you producing videos and stuff now? We see a lot of this pre-produced stuff, I guess, that I'm scratching my head going, boy, you need to be a cameraman. I, no, <laughs> I need to learn how to do that. I've done work for GoPro, like at the Oshkosh show. One, one flight, I had 13 GoPros on my airplane for a video they did. I did a promotion for uh, Nikon 360 camera. We did a video for them. But as far I know some of the pilots put a little GoPro on their airplane every flight. I haven't gotten into that. A lot of the shows, we do stuff for live air show TV, you know, they have the live. There's another change. See, I wasn't thinking that a lot of shows have the big screen now. Didn't have that years ago. And that's where they use the inflate in cockpit camera to show the crowd what's going on in the cockpit while you're up there showing. So. Yeah, so I don't know if it's generational or what. Guys will go into their airplane, even if it's a 172. They'll go in, and the first thing they do is turn a camera on. And they've got these great videos. And I don't know about you, maybe I'm too slow, but I'm sitting there going, I'm worried about flying the airplane, doing everything correct. I've taken off more than once. You know, you go, ah, I forgot to turn the cameras on. <laughs> I'm in trouble, Mayday, Mayday! Mayday, save our air shows. The Renegade Aviator Radio Show promotes air shows and air show performers. Renegade, AV, the number 8R.com. Click the Mayday link. We need your help, and I made it really simple and convenient. Do you like air shows, aviation museums, high-value, high-energy entertainment? Air shows are some of the most popular spectator events around. Millions of people get enjoyment from these events, but they will be closed. They will be a thing of the past unless you help. Only three bucks a month, conveniently billed to your card, will help us Keep the air shows and the air show performers front and center on these radio stations. Mayday, save our air shows, renegadeaviator.com. You can't believe the difference in the way the airplane performs. It's an entirely different airplane, not just with the wing walker on there, but you know, we put a stand up on the top wing made of streamlined tubing, like an inch wide and probably three or four feet high, a couple of braces. 
Just well, great. So you and Teresa Stokes, you do some of your stuff speed, together. So you do some wing walking as well. And that's another thing down. we don't see a lot of anymore is the wing walking. How is that different from you as the pilot with having a wing walker on the aircraft while you're doing the show? Does the plane handle radically different or are things obviously a different type of a show? But help people understand a little bit about what that might feel like as a pilot. And we've spent years doing that. I've seen her all over that airplane. And it's just amazing how she does that. How did she get started? She just came up to you one day and you guys decided to start doing that? And how did that all transpire? Building that airplane for a wing walking show. And I'd, I met Teresa out of Reno Air Races. But when I was finishing that airplane, I had one of Earl Cherry's wing walkers named from the past. But she lived in Dallas and I was in Dallas building the egghead. And she was going to be my wing walker. But Teresa and I met at the air races, like I said, and started going out together. So it just turned out that she became the wing walker. And Teresa, of course, is in she was not only just a pilot, but she was an aerobatic pilot. She flew decathlon and uh, tail draggers, and commercial instruments. She's a great pilot, not only a pilot, but an artist. But but she started doing the wing walking show. And at first it was pretty benign, just stand up there in the rack and I'd do a few loops and rolls and land. But over the years, you know, we like anything else, we keep practicing, just go out and try different things and putting her in different places on the airplane. And she learned how to climb all over the airplane and uh, turned into a pretty good act now. It is. 15 minutes. But uh, it is a lot going on. People love it. Still, she's on top of the airplane standing on her head. Yeah, there's other wing walkers that do that, but it's really cool. It's scary. She's got more guts than I do. There's no way. Uh-huh. <laughs> she actually used to fly that airplane cross country too. She flies the, the show cat and she thinks that she should fly and I should get on the wing, but that hadn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no way. I just, there's no way you could pay me enough to get on top of the airplane like that. So I really hand it to wing walkers because uh, there's not a simulator you can practice wing walking in. You have to just go in and do it. Yeah. You mentioned the performance. On a normal takeoff, I can accelerate to 120, you know, just wheels a couple inches off the ground. By the end of the runway, I'm doing like 120. I can pull up and do a Cubanator, a maneuver. With her on the wing to do the same loop, I climb to 1,500 feet or 1,200 feet and dive five or 600 feet to get that same 120 miles an hour before I can pull up. Can you believe that? Wow. It's a completely different airplane with her on the wing. I would imagine, too, as she moves around, you've got a lot of control inputs that are changing from a normal slow roll or something like that with somebody moving around. Uh, yeah, when she's on the wingtip, you know, it's half aileron and full rudder just to make the airplane go straight to compensate for the drag out on the wingtip. It's it's pretty wild. There's not much performance. You know, when she's standing on the wing, just her feet um, interfere with the lift of the airplane at the area behind her feet. So I'm trying to climb between maneuvers. She grabs into the wires or whatever she struts around. She's on and takes her feet off the wings and holds them up to get them so I can use that extra part of the wing for the lift. It's oh. also critical. I never realized that. I didn't think that would make that big of a difference. But uh, so actually picking her feet up just off the wing, same weight, same everything, but you can feel a difference in the aircraft. Yeah. And if she can't pick her feet up, she puts one foot in front of the other. So we just have the drag of the one shoe instead of two. That's amazing. The lift the wing. Yeah. That's amazing. Definitely feel a difference. When you're ready to climb, you can see the difference. Holy <laughs> and God. it doesn't climb very good at all when they're on the wing either. <laughs> then you also do pyro shows, and that's cool. If people haven't gone to a night air show or a twilight air show, they got to go do one once we get back, and we will be back. Looking at these events where you've got pyro on the aircraft and all that, the question I get is how disorienting is that? Can the pyro itself be kind of disoriented when you're flying like that? Oh, my God. <laughs> you don't have any visibility. I think I can do it because, like I mentioned before, from the years of practice, where you fly an airplane is unconscious because you're doing these maneuvers sometimes where you don't 
see anything. I won't pull into a loop or whatever unless I, I know that there's some type of horizon behind me, you know, farmhouses or a little bit of the sunset or some type of horizon. Because you can't, when you pull up for a loop in any airplane, you look at the wingtip, but the wingtip's on fire. It's the fireball out there. You can't ever look left to right when fireworks are on because you lose what little bit of night vision you had. So you're flying, looking straight ahead, kind of like through a toilet paper roll. And you can do maneuver. All you see is what's through there. You don't have your normal senses. So rolls and things like that are pretty much on timing. It's really disorienting. And, of course, on some nights, like, there's just as many lights on the ground as there are stars in the sky, so you can't tell the difference. Then you, I just don't do the aerobatics. I just do steep turns. And people on the ground can't tell the difference. They can't see the airplane. As long as you keep the firework trail behind you twisting, it's a pretty exciting show. We know that for ICAS and for your SAC card, you got to be qualified pyro. But when you're using pyro, is there any kind of other things that you've got to get licensed to purchase that stuff, use that stuff? Oh, yeah. Well, we used to use much stronger fireworks before 9-11, and then the rules all changed, and we couldn't move that stuff around. You still can, but there's so many licensing requirements. Every night, it has to go into storage somewhere. If you're flying with high-powered fireworks, you'd have to find an approved ATF storage facility just for that day. It's too complicated. So now all the performers use, I guess, their kids' fireworks. It's just <laughs> class four. We just put a lot of them on there. And with the speed of the airplane, the, the trail of fire goes back pretty far. So these are just household fireworks now, and they're not regulated very much at all. Yeah, it's interesting after 9-11 how things have changed. But that was another thing in the air show world. After 9-11, uh, we didn't fly our shows that year. So I keep trying to just let people know. That's the whole purpose of these shows lately is to say, look, we need people to come out. We need to make the sponsors confident that there's going to be enough people to be there. I think, you know, you can get any sponsor to show up for a crowd that's large enough one thing I've been doing is telling people to write the sponsors who sponsor these events, whether it be EAA Oshkosh or Sun and Fun or your local air show. Find out who the sponsors were and write them a thank you note or look at one of the air show performers that you've seen fly. Go to their website. And yours is jeansusi.com. Is that correct? That's correct. So go to jeansusi.com. Go to every performer and write those sponsors a thank you note. Believe it or not, I think we can make a difference because these sponsors have got to come back just like the crowds do. And when they know that the people are saying, look, we want to come back, it's kind of that, that catch-22. Without sponsors, you don't have an air show. And the sponsors will say, well, guarantee me people through the gate and I'll sponsor you. So it's that catch-22. And when you kind of pull those those throttles back like we are right now, we're in our, you know, single engine flame out pattern as we come in <laughs> for this season. We need to be ready to go because the planning for the air shows for next year is starting right now. Oh, yeah. I got to think everybody's planning a normal season for next year. I would hope they would. You don't know what's going to happen in the next few months, six months, whatever. But I would sure hope that the event producers are planning on a normal show for next year and trying to get their sponsors lined up. Of course, that's going to be hard with a lot of companies losing so much money like they are, but there'll be air shows. Yep. I absolutely believe that. But what are the kind of questions people will ask you when they come up to you after a show? Are you seeing a certain set of questions or things people want to know about with you and your air show and what you do? They just seem to like it. I always ask Teresa if she's crazy and she's so tired of hearing that. She hates that, but that's what they always <laughs> ask her first thing. What's wrong with you, lady? And that she just ruins her whole day. <laughs> Never call a woman crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's a wing walk, and they just think they just don't understand it. When you meet in the crowd, they're just enthusiastic and thank and, and appreciative. The thank you, that's what you get. 
man, that was a great show. We're so glad we came out. That's what you hear. It's as simple as that. It really is. Because what other type of entertainment event can you meet? You know, when you go to a football event or a NASCAR event, you don't get to look, walk up to that pilot or that race car driver or that football player and actually say hi and say thank you. It goes back to something as simple as that, right? So you've been doing this for decades and that simple thank you is enough with, we did learn one thing, never, ever ask a wing walker if they're crazy. We like that. That's good. <laughs> That's good. When the last time you and I spoke, you mentioned something to me, and I use this story all the time now, and you probably don't even remember saying this because you kind of said it so nonchalantly, but I said, to have longevity in the air show world, what is your number one advice? And you said, to stay alive. <laughs> and it was so simple, and I kind of scratched my head, and I go, yeah. You're out there managing risk. You're not out there being a daredevil. Am I off base with that? No, not at all. I mean, that's exactly it. Yeah, you just accept the risk and you kind of design your routine, knowing you have an out in different situations with an engine failure. The more I, of that is just your equipment, making maintaining your equipment so that you don't have these failures. Every little thing is so important. You can't overlook anything. That's what usually gets somebody in trouble, something they never thought about or hadn't practiced. It is all about staying alive. It's a full-time job. It's your job, yeah. It is. Obviously, the people that show up, they want to be thrilled, but they don't want to see accidents out. That's another thing sponsors always want to hear as well. It's not that it's, quote-unquote, safe, but it's also not daredevil. These are professionals and this is why I always caution guys that tell me their stories of their low-level antics in their Cessna 172 or their Cirrus. You know, the bravest pilots in the world fly a Cirrus with a parachute. <laughs> you know? Well, great. So do you have any sponsors that you want to call out to or give them a nod? I probably have 15 support sponsors, you know, Champion Spark Plugs and Concord Batteries and Oregon Aero. They just provide different things that we need to make the airplane operate. Of course, at Sun and Fun in Oshkosh, I work with Piedmont Airlines, helping to recruit pilots. Teresa and I go in their booth in the education center, you know, with the crowd, make several appearances a day, you know, meeting the young pilots and talking to them about a career in, in aviation and, and with the airlines. What did you fly at the airlines? Oh, well, I started in the Convert 580 at North Central and to the DC-9. I retired early, but I was flying the 757 at Northwest Airlines towards the end, but I did get 14,000 hours in the DC-9. That's a pretty good career, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that's working. Yeah. <laughs> that's not 12-hour legs. That's, you know, an hour back and yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some legs are 12 landings a, a day with a little commuter airline like that going through Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Those are good times. 14,000 hours the hard way. I don't know. I like the landings and the takeoffs. I don't know if I could be a FedEx pilot and sit there for 12 hours and Me go to the either. hotel. Yeah, I, I blew know. the 7.5. It was transcontinental, you know, and God, in four hours, what do you do? <laughs> the approaches were fun. Even the bad weather was fun. It was all fun. It was a challenge. And like, any, you know, a job well done, you feel good at the end of the day. So that's why you do it, I guess. I agree. And then you're uh, changing crews more often. So you could tell those same stories over and over again. I find if I fly with a guy too long, you know, after a 12 hour leg or something, you run out of stories to tell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, something. Right on, Gene. Well, as always, my friend, thank you so much for uh, coming on to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Calm Professionalism. This is somebody I want you to go. Go to his website, go to genesusie.com and look at the cool looking biplane. It's called Showcat. Gene, thank you so much for coming on the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. Dave, no, thank you. Enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. See you later. All right, sir. Bye-bye.
Gene Susie, ladies and gentlemen, that's spelled S-O-U-C-Y. And I'm grateful to this radio show that allows me to speak directly to people like Gene, one of my heroes in air shows. Back for one more segment, David Costa, Renegade8R.com. I'm excited, Hey, this is David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, faith, family, friendship, and work that serves others. So how can I help you? If you're looking for help in aviation or help in going after some huge goal in your life, contact me through Renegade AV, the number 8R, renegadeaviator.com. Air shows may have nothing to do with what you're passionate about, but what I've learned through my passion and my pursuit of my passion can help you in your passion. This is my work that serves others. People have helped me. Here's my opportunity to help you. RenegadeAviator.com. You can leave me a message right through the website. Click that little tab on the right. Your passion, your potential. This is David Costa, the Renegade Aviator. All right, David Costa, the Renegade Aviator. Man, this show goes quick. Let me wrap this up with some opinions, advice, and then announce a really cool project. And I'm thrilled for this. Excellence just does not happen. It is not bestowed upon you. Excellence is better than diversity because excellence could care less about your sex, gender, color, or creed. Excellence is the way to level the playing field because it is demonstrated, not just once or twice. That's luck, not excellence. Excellence is consistent, and it's a result of hard work, focus, consistency, and yes, coaching. Listen again to what Gene had to say. Decades of practice, planning, and hard work created Mr. Airshow. It was not bestowed upon him. It was not without unfair things happening or opportunities given. Opportunity, remember, is a decision. Listen to my podcast version of all of our shows. Search Renegade Aviator or visit Renegade AV, the number 8R. And if you join my crew, you get a special extended version of this show. Yes, I give you more than the regular people get. That's for my crew. Inside stuff, benefits, baby. Go to renegadeaviator.com and join my crew. And I promised all of you a special announcement at the beginning of the show. So here it is. Zoomers meet boomers and kick some world records out of the park. You can help and you might even be able to get involved. I want you to go to renegadeaviator.com and click the link world records. Look, aerospace is in an exciting period. NASA, SpaceX, Blue Origin, and supersonic business jets are right now on the horizon. Going to the moon, going to the Mars. New technology is going crazy. And the fact is that we need more aerospace professionals. Hey, look, my generation had our chance. 
I'm looking to you Zoomers, you millennials. It's your turn, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to go into the record books, take a military jet over a half century old, blow away world records that have stood for over a half a century and innovate, redesign, and rethink the old, make it new. Go to renegadeaviator.com, click the link, World Records. Time to fly, baby. This is David Costa in the air with my airshow jet and on the air with you each and every week. I am the Renegade Aviator. See ya. See ya.